0: Welcome to UX UI Translation with user centric localization specialist Eva Kattenberg. In this episode, Eva explains what UX and UI mean and where they fit into the translation industry. She talks about her job as a UX UI translator, what she does, who she works with, and her favorite projects. Eva also describes her alternative route into the translation industry and offers some advice for anyone who wants to specialize in UX and UI translation. It's a really interesting episode, so enjoy! Hi Eva, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's really great to have you here. Hi Todd, thanks so much for inviting me. (laughs) I'm really excited to learn more about UX and UI translation today. So can you give us a bit of an introduction, like what is it you do and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Hmm, Sure. So I'm a localization and transcreation specialist and I mostly work on software, website and app localization, but I also do marketing material transcreation that is mainly ads, emails, lots of short form content. I don't specialize as much anymore on like blog articles and stuff like that. So mostly short things. And I translate from French and English into German. And yeah, my my background is a bit uh, complicated. And I think we'll get into this a little later as well. But to make it short, I basically studied business communications and UX design. And two years ago, I transitioned into the localization industry. And yeah, that's where I have been working ever since. And I love it yeah, and more on maybe a personal note, I'm I'm German, but I don't live in Germany. I live in France, in Paris, and I've been here for the last five years. So. It
0: must be really good to be able to use your French every day. <laughs>
1: for sure. It's actually funny because there's this one famous translator, I don't know if she's famous, but Yves Boudot, I think she's doing a podcast with um, Corinne Kay And I think she mm-hmm. has a book on like maintaining your second language or something. And I actually have mm-hmm. the opposite problem sometimes where I... i speak french every day and i speak english every day but i don't speak german every day i know write german every day so it's getting better but yeah i would rather need a book on maintaining your native language
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know that feeling from when i when i lived in germany and then i'd like pop back to the uk and just one of the words that stuck with me was saying "handy" instead of phone but i would say it so much that my boyfriend learned like was learning random german words because i'd just be like where's my (laughs) 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 handy?" love that maintaining your target languages
1: (laughs) it's also a good thing yeah so yeah
0: (laughs) what does UX and UI stand for and what do they actually mean like let's let's get to the basics because I didn't really know much about this before to be honest
1: yeah so it's interesting because I think in the US it has been around for like maybe 10 years or 15 years and in Europe it's a newer discipline maybe it has been here for like five years or something so basically (laughs) UX means user experience And that is like everything the user experiences when they interact with uh, an interface. You could also use it for any other kind of product, like what experience do you have when you interact with a car or with, I don't know, a kitchen equipment item or whatever. But it's usually or commonly being used in like the IT sector. And then it's used for like the interaction (laughs) with with a software product or website. And it's basically, I mean, we all know bad websites and with a bad experience so user experience designers work on making a great experience for the user something that's seamless and easy to use easy to understand easy to learn and yeah that's that's user experience and then the discipline that is very closely related to it is called a ui design so user interface design so that would be all of the graphical visual elements that you would see on a website or app the, like the actual design design um, the colors where mm-hmm. everything's located the buttons etc
0: it's one of those things that a lot of people probably wouldn't know what it means like just hearing UX and UI but we all would like have seen it and have used it before I'm sure and see it in our everyday lives. (laughs)
1: Exactly and I guess it's kind of maybe a modern way of saying website localization or app localization because nowadays everything that's kind of website design is also referred to as UX UI design so everything that's uh, website and app localization is nowadays sometimes called UX UI localization so
0: sounds like it's quite a broad thing yeah it interfaces
1: like localization of it interfaces and especially with thinking of the user and not only translating word by word but really thinking about the experience the user is having while interacting with the product
0: mm-hmm. so sort of bringing it into the translation industry kind of context what is user-centric localization because i saw that's what you've kind of got as part of your title on linkedin mm-hmm. um so what is that what does that mean
1: yeah, so that basically just means what I said before. So you localize with the user in mind. So every time you, um, in my case, translate something from English into German, for example, you would think about where is the user currently which like, what is their state of mind? For example, if we take a purchase flow, like a checkout process, I often see buttons, for example, on the product page already that say buy now. And it's just on the product page. So mm-hmm. if you click on the buy now button, it's not actually purchasing the, the product, is just adding it to the cart, right? And then you have the whole purchase flow of actually checking out the product and buying it. And that, for example, is bad UX writing practice. So you actually shouldn't do that because users, when they are on the product page, they're not actually ready to buy yet. They're not wanting to commit yet. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not sure yet. Some users put things in the cart only to after use it as a like wish list and just narrow it down
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, between different products. So if they see a button that says buy now, they might not click it because they're afraid that they're actually purchasing the product versus only adding it to the cart, right? So if I would see that, for example, in in an English source text, I might translate it as add to the cart and not buy now in order to make a better Mm -hmm. user experience and make the purchase flow more seamless. And also in the end, actually, yeah, heighten the conversion rate of the client because users will be more likely to add something to the cart because they feel like it's not such a high threshold. They're not buying it yet. They're just adding it to the cart. So that's kind of what you're doing when you do user centric localization, thinking about where is the user currently psychologically? Are they ready to buy? Are they not ready to buy? Are they still hesitant or do they have questions? Are they angry? Are they happy? And so you adapt your writing to their state of mind, basically.
0: I never realized how much kind of psychology went into this kind of translation. It's really interesting when you have to actually think about and I guess it also varies depending on like cultures and countries like different cultures will have different kind of psychological processes when they do things like that.
1: For sure like another example um, I think last year I translated a website for a ballet parking service and (laughs) um, it's from France and French people are not super careful with their cars compared to germans like here in paris i see lots of like bumped in cars with like little how do you would you say that like bumps into them do you say that because <laughs> when they park they just like bump into each other to make space oh, like bumper to bumper space. yeah and then sometimes the car is kind of like there's some scratches all over it. and in germany you would never do that like germans love their cars they must be like mm-hmm. clean all pretty and This service was about like giving your car to a stranger so they park it for you when you go to the airport. And I feel like, oh yeah, French people would like give their car to someone else because whatever, if there's a scratch in it, who cares? It's just a car. But for Germans, it's it's really high stakes, giving like their car that they love to a stranger. What if they don't treat it well? What if they make a scratch into it? So when I translated the website, we focused on making it a little more reassuring for Germans and adding more like proof that it's well assured by. A well-known insurance company and stuff like that so yeah that's also thinking about the state of mind of the actual user and yeah as you say it depends on where they live for sure and what culture they come from mm-hmm.
0: i guess that sort of answers my question it's like why ux and ui content has to be localized rather than just translated what kind of clients do you
1: usually work with most of my clients are actually direct clients and I mostly work with, I would call them like startups and scale-ups that have operated in an international market. It's lots of e-commerce, but I also have some software as a service clients. Yeah. So I, I guess that's like the main part of it. Then I sometimes have some like marketing agencies or cultural agencies that um, help business, for example, transition from France to Germany, but I also do like website localizations mm-hmm. for them. So I do the same kinds of services, but it's just an intermediary agency between me and the client Mm
0: -hmm. are you normally like the sole translator on for a specific client that you work with or do you ever like work alongside like other translators on the same things and have to kind of make it consistent
1: It depends a bit on the client so I have some where I'm the only one translating but someone at the company speaks German and they review my content for example or I also have Mm -hmm. some companies that have other translators and we share the work so kind of whoever is available takes the task. I also um, had one client where I was the reviewer and they had two other translators Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a team of freelance translators. But sometimes it's also someone in-house plus me. But yeah, it's usually a small Mm -hmm. team. And most of the time, it's only freelancers. And sometimes it's only me. Mm -hmm.
0: What are your favorite and least favorite things about UX and UI translation?
1: Yes, I think my favorite is maybe when you see your work published online, which is very nice. So when, when you translate a website, you usually are able to see it afterwards, which is cool. Which is maybe not always the case with like, I don't know, document translation or whatever. Um, so I really like that part and like when my first website went live I was just so happy seeing it there and <laughs> taking screenshots and whatever. I also like that I know that it helps the businesses increase their income in the German markets and that's why I really like working with startups because I know that if they wouldn't work with me they would not be able to sell in Germany maybe so they couldn't increase their revenue, their business wouldn't be able to grow. And as I also work, I didn't say that before with uh, sustainable clients, I really like uh, working with sustainable e-commerce. Brands, I like knowing that maybe their sustainable product is taking over the market and phasing out some other products that are less sustainable. So I really mm-hmm. like that aspect. I also like the creative side, so translating or rather transcreating taglines and slogans is really nice, especially if it's like wordplays and some, something really challenging. I like transcreating mm-hmm. those, and yeah, I also really like working kind of on the intersection of IT and languages because um, I. Did some IT courses in university and also at school and I always really liked it, it was one of my favorite subjects mm-hmm. and I didn't really see myself working like in coding or something really but I really loved languages and I didn't really know that there was like a job that combined the two so I really like that aspect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah so my uh, least favorite is maybe sometimes it's a bit challenging because you have character limitations so for example buttons shouldn't be too long and I'm translating into German, so it's basically always too long. (laughs) And that can be a challenge because you really need to understand which part of this button is maybe least important. What can I leave out? How can I make it shorter? Is there a synonym for this word to make it shorter or anything like that? It's also quite challenging if you don't have any context. So I've worked on projects where they just sent me an Excel sheet of translation keys. So keys in localization or website localization are... Uh, basically sec- segments I think you would call them in, in other translations with different buttons like one button would be a key and like one paragraph would be a key and they just sent them and they were not in the right order and I had no context I didn't know <laughs> at all what this word meant and yeah so I needed to go back and forth so many times asking them for screenshots and contacts and I went myself into the product searching for the keys, but it took so much time. So that can be really challenging at times if you don't have enough context. Mm -hmm. And it's especially problematic if you don't translate a a static website. So usually when you go online and you type in a website, it's just there. So then Mm -hmm. when I translate it, I can visit that website and just check, oh, is that a button? Is that a title? No worries. But sometimes you translate um, a software product or you translate a user account and depending on like if you've already purchased something or not or how many invoices you added to your invoicing software your interface looks different so it's pretty hard to simulate the exact case to show a specific key so mm-hmm. yeah that can be really challenging but I, I usually I'll find a way and ask the clients and another thing I don't really like is when the source text is not well written because I feel like if the English text or the French text is not like pretty. I'm not as motivated mm. to translate it because it's just, it's not as isp- inspiring because if there is like a greatly written English source text, I'm just so happy to translate it and make it like all beautiful and like natural sounding and perfect yeah.
0: in German. Cause you're like, I want this to sound as good in German.
1: Exactly. In
0: English.
1: <laughs> I have one client who does a great job at that. I love their text and everything is just like perfectly thought out and intelligently witty copy but yeah sometimes I have other clients mm. where it's very plain and it's less interesting of course but yeah overall I really like my job then. yeah
0: there's a lot of things that I'm actually like realizing are quite similar to things like I mean things like having the character limit like I'm so used to doing that obviously with subtitling it's like obviously it's a completely different thing and I feel like yours is probably hard like I'm sure the limits are a lot shorter because it will be like a small button and you might need to literally have like one word or something
1: yeah but then again I mean the English button won't be super long either
0: yeah true this is this is the thing like when I subtitle I'm glad I subtitle German into English and not the other way around just because German is so much longer so I don't even know how like <laughs>
1: it's always way too long And I've done like benchmarking on other German websites, and sometimes they just have two line buttons, so buttons that are like just split into two lines, because it's just too long. Sometimes, (laughs) even if it's one word, one word can be so long that the button will not be like Mm. large enough, so you just go into a second line, which is so ugly, but I've seen it on so many German websites, because the German words are just long.
0: I guess like a German user would probably be used to it in that case, so it's maybe not as big of a problem.
1: how the language is
0: so you were saying about context do most of your clients give you like screenshots of the things along like alongside what you're doing or is it mostly like no context Hmm. i guess
1: if i translate something that's on the public website like i don't know a a product description in e-commerce i can just look at it on the already live website in english so I would have the context. And mm-hmm. in other instances, I've worked with clients that use CAT tools, like IT CAT tools, like Phrase or Crowdin. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've heard about it. Yeah, you've probably heard about them, right? So mm-hmm. they're specifically for UX and UI translations. And they have a feature where you can upload screenshots to each of the keys, which is very, very helpful. Not all of them always have mm-hmm. the screenshots, but if they don't, I can at least text someone and say, Oh, what is that? Can you add a screenshot? And then they will add a screenshot to that specific segment, which mm-hmm. is really
0: nice. I guess that does make it easier for you. <laughs> Another thing actually I was wondering, since like a lot of the this kind of content, if not all of it is sort of online kind of stuff, do you also have to do SEO, like search engine optimization as part of your translation, or is that something kind of separate?
1: I guess it kind of goes into it sometimes, but I feel like most of my clients I've worked with, they did not uh, specifically focus too much on it on their websites but I guess I kind of do it sometimes because if I translate the main words where I know like I don't know this website is selling a cardigan how would cardigan be called in German so most people would find it so I I still kind of try and optimize at least the words Mm -hmm. but they never really tell me oh this is the key word phrase for this page please localize it or something like that because I feel like they may be didn't put as much effort onto the seo already in english i don't really know and for everything that's like in a user account or that is a software that you need to log into it won't show on google anyway so it doesn't need to Mm -hmm. be seo optimized and i think maybe the seo optimization is most for the blog articles as well i've done that on blog Mm -hmm. articles more but some of my clients don't have blogs
0: Mm -hmm. makes sense Are there any like really memorable projects that you've worked on that kind of stick in your head? Hmm.
1: I think like the first would be for my long term client Aldworth. So it's a sustainable shoe and fashion company that I've been working for since I think January 2020. And um, Mm -hmm. the first task for them was to retranslate their whole website into German. And it was such a huge transcreation challenge. So so that's the client where I really, really love the English copy. It's just so well-written and they have so many word plays and like just intelligent sentences that, I don't know, just play with the concepts and yeah, just words. And in order to have the same kind of feel in German, it just needed to be transcreated like 90%. There's rarely a sentence where it's just like translate the sentence that you're good to go. All of the titles are kind of with word plays or whatever and... Was a huge challenge, but I really still love that website. I'm so proud of it. And yeah, so remember that project um, and I'm still <laughs> working for them. So I I get to continue transgrading, I don't know, emails and new product pages when they add a new product. So that's really cool. But I really <laughs> loved like transgrading the whole website because that was the first time that I did that. And yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, the second one would maybe be for that valet parking service because it had such a huge lack of context and it was really challenging but I think with the right questions I finally got where I wanted to be and now the website is coherent and everything's good for the context everything goes together but yeah there were some interesting challenges like for example you know the the button when you go like back in interface and you just click on back and they take you to the last page Mm -hmm. they had this kind of button Mm -hmm. but in French the word for back is the same word as for like um, return journey like when you come back from a journey from a travels mm. so they just had like saved the same word into the same key because it's the same word in french but it's not at all the same word in german oh. so when i translated it yeah. i i probably saw the return journey one first and i translated it as like rückreise yeah, in german so return journey mm. and then the back button just said return journey that's <laughs> really funny so it's like Lock in, <laughs> you couldn't find your lock in, return journey.
0: So, not ideal. Like, go home. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: So I told them we can't keep that as one key. We need to split it in two because it's just a completely different word and a completely different context in German. <laughs> or, I mean, it's even a different context <laughs> in French. It's just, like, coincidence that it's the same word. <laughs> but Yeah, they finally split the keys and then we had, like, back and return journey, which was... A lot better, but yeah, that that was a cool project.
0: I guess the fact that it is like a car, because it was the car valley parking one, isn't yes, it? So yes. like at least it kind of could come off as a, like a play on words. I think, True. Just trying to make it,
1: like, That's actually so
0: cute. it's put like a little
1: car emoji and just like
0: drive back? That would be really cute, actually. Yes. We've had a question from Tanner who asked. How do you break into an industry like UX/UI with translation?
1: So I don't know if I'm the best example because my path, as I told you before, is a little bit uncommon. But I can tell you how I mm-hmm. did it, and maybe there's some lessons to learn. I don't know. So when I, I finished my A levels, I started studying linguistics because I had um, read a book about linguistics and really loved like the etymology ethymo- of words, and just like word- how languages are related, language families, etc. So um, I found a program um, where I did linguistics in major and economics and business administration in my minor. And I started it and I hated it. So the contents were really interesting. Like I still love linguistics, but I kind of felt like what will be my job after that? I didn't really see like a, a real perspective. So I stopped and just switched to a whole bachelor in like economics and business administration kind of by accident or by not knowing what else to do Mm -hmm. so I did that bachelor's degree hated it the whole time but it still was kind of interesting because I did some courses on marketing and business informatics which was interesting so those were the two topics that I liked most but yeah the the whole atmosphere in the university wasn't great so yeah whatever then um, finished that bachelor's degree and worked as a freelance journalist between my master's and my bachelor's degree so I still lived in Germany and I had done an internship at a local newspaper. And as I was waiting for my master's program in France to start, I had like six months time. So I was like, OK, let's just work for that newspaper. Did that, really liked that and um, thought, oh, I, I might just go into journalism later. So I started my master's program in France, which was in communications for the European Union, which I thought would maybe lead me to like, work for a political newspaper one day or something like that. But then I really liked living in France, and I didn't want to leave, and I felt like, okay, being a journalist in a country with a language that you speak, and I speak French well, but it's not my native language, so writing in French and like have it be perfect grammatically and sound natural, etc., is just impossible. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll just stay in communication, so I did an internship in a startup in Paris, and that's where I like overhauled their whole website. So they had a really ugly website and I redid the whole thing and I loved that. So I was like, oh, maybe I should do web design. So I started looking <laughs> into master programs about like web design and stuff and found um, user experience design. So I found a, a program that was called UX and innovation. And I did it. I don't know if that exists in the UK, but in France, you have this thing called alternance. So um, it's where you go... Uh, You work in a company, but then a couple of days per month, you go to school and then you have like a practical master's degree. Um, So I Mm -hmm. went to school, I think every Friday and then four times a week, I went to work at Allianz, which is a German insurance company, but it was their French Mm -hmm. um, branch. And I worked there as a UX product owner, which is just a Mm -hmm. position in the IT department. So I did some user research for their website and also just project management on their website updates and stuff like that. And yeah, then I liked that. It was okay. But I knew actually, since I was a teenager, I, I wanted to be a freelancer. One day or have my own business, something like that. I just never really knew <laughs> in what. I knew, okay, I want to be independent, but let's see whatever comes my way. So when my program, like my master's program stopped, I knew, okay, I'll just start freelancing in user research. So I started freelancing in user research, but I already knew, okay, no, it, it's not perfect. I, it's not like the thing I'm burning for but yeah, mm-hmm. let's just start out with that. And then my, actually my first client was from Norway and they're a user testing company. So they do user research and they are like in the UX field, but they had translated their website into German and needed someone to review it that actually also knew UX design and user research. So I started working with them and that's where I, I learned about localization. So they were really like into localization and doing it right, doing it well, uh, had like the whole guidelines and it was like very well made and um, I was like oh wow people translate websites people translate software I just wasn't aware which sounds super stupid but my whole life I thought oh translators do documents and books and as I'm not so much mm. into like, <laughs> literature and it's not my thing right I'm more into the like the business and IT side I always thought, okay, I mm-hmm. can't do anything with my language passion. My language passion will stay a passion, but I can make it my job because I don't like literature. <laughs> but I yeah, then I learned, okay, you no, know, there's like a job where you can combine IT and business and languages. So I was just completely in love and decided, okay, I need, to, I need to change paths. So I decided, okay, I need to find more localization clients. And that's when I actively started looking for localization clients on Upwork, actually. And yeah, found Allbirds, mm-hmm. actually, which was my second client and they trusted me and I'm so happy they did because that was my door opener into this whole new industry I'm now completely working and since probably April 2020 I think I don't know I I sort of Mm -hmm. phased out my UX clients and replaced them with localization clients Mm
0: -hmm. so you've had a really really interesting (laughs) really interesting journey I love how you've sort of gone you've kind of it's it's great though because you've like gone and tried out every single little path and you kind of have to like do that to know what you like and what you don't like and like I think it's so cool that you've done all of those things and now you like you know what you love and you can like say that you love it because you can compare it to all those other things that you've tried out that you haven't enjoyed as much and now you've like found this really inspiring (laughs) thank you yeah and it's funny because i think when i was younger i just
1: never really knew what i wanted to do and i just went step by step i just thought okay now i like website design okay let's go this direction now i like journalism so i just went with my gut and it brought me to a job i really Mm -hmm. like and i feel like everything i did actually had like a reason so for example for translation you need to be a good writer right so i learned that by being a journalist or also working in communications. And then you need IT skills, which I learned from my uni degree and like working in an IT department. You need marketing skills because you need to write, write like catchy copy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Learned that for my communications degree. So I feel like all of the things I did, if you look at them, they don't make sense, but actually they make a lot of sense and all of them help mm-hmm. me today with my job. So yeah, and I don't know how, how to get into the industry. I feel like. It doesn't hurt to have multiple experiences. I actually think that's maybe an advantage if you see in other industries and if you know how website design works in a company and how they work, et cetera. And I just think trying to sell all the experience you have and target, like tailor them to what you want to do. Like for example, when I knew I want to go into localization, I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a diploma. I didn't have anything. So I just said, okay, but what else do I have? that is important for this industry, I have IT skills, I have writing skills, I have marketing skills, so I just like told them, okay, look, I didn't do translation or localization, but did this, 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 and that, which is also Mm -hmm. kind of related, and tried to sell the things I did already (laughs) to like a new kind of context, which was localization, If that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. So which, like, of those kind of key skills that you mentioned that kind of led you to Doing what you're doing now, like which ones would you say are the most important and would you say like are the most like necessary for someone to be a UX and UI translator? I actually think maybe writing experience actually.
1: So yes, you need HTML a little bit, like some like prog it's not even a programming programming language HTML, but you need so basic HTML that I think you can learn it in a couple of days and you're good. But I think what is really important is how to write for a website, how to write for like an ad, how to write in an email. So I think it helps a lot if you have experience in marketing communications and uh, copywriting for websites or mm-hmm. UX writing. So I think those are skills that can be really, really helpful. And I see that in clients that really appreciate that I work with UX writing and UX design because that's what they're focused on as well. They wanted like well-sounding converting website, right?
0: do you have any advice for people who are wanting to go into ux and ui translation
1: Hmm. so i think it depends on where you're coming from if you have a translation degree or if you don't have a translation degree like i do um, i think if you have one that's great so you already have the experience in translation you already know the cat tools you have that whole part so i think So you need to think, what am I liking to become a UX ui translator? So that would maybe be UX writing skills or uh, knowledge about website design, knowledge about HTML. So I would really encourage everyone to take like Udemy courses or just YouTube courses, anything like that. There are some great resources out there, especially for coding and UX, because it's such a hot topic at the moment. So if you go on Udemy or Coursera or all of these different sites, you can find a ton of courses. Actually, on Udemy, if you take the course Mm -hmm. under 30 days, you can get a refund. So it can be free. It's just a nice little hack. (laughs) So that's what I would advise. And yeah, if you come from a non-translation background, you're obviously lacking the translation experience. So I would suggest that that's what I did to start finding clients on Upwork. I found that that really works well because you can filter for projects. You can search for projects. And I really tried to find something that fit my personal skills like something that was already in line with marketing and UX so I could convince the client that I was the right person even though I had never really translated anything before Mm -hmm. and then with that first client I got the experience to show other clients okay I'm capable of doing that and then you can go from there I think once you have your first client it doesn't really matter anymore if you have a degree or not but yeah you need to get there so I think I would always assess what am I lacking currently how can I get there and then find the first person to trust you and I think it's easiest to find someone to trust you if it's really targeted to your specific skills so if you know marketing and UX find someone that is looking for marketing and UX.
0: Mm -hmm. A lot of people kind of assume that you need a degree in translation to be able to be a translator and I feel like a lot of agencies kind of expect you to have that as well but it's obviously not the case like you've like you've shown that that's you don't need to have the degree in translation like for anyone who does want to take an alternative route into the translation industry do you have any kind of advice or recommendations on the best ways to do that yeah i think
1: actually you're you're already talking about a good point agencies will not accept you and i think that's what i are also experienced Agencies want you to have Mm -hmm. a degree, especially in the beginning when you don't have experience yet. I think now that's not a problem anymore because I can show them websites I translated, ads I translated. But in the beginning, I couldn't show that and they wouldn't accept me. So Mm -hmm. as counterintuitive as as that sounds, I feel like uh, if you don't come from a translation degree, try your luck with direct clients. They will actually appreciate you a lot, I think, because they usually come from product or from marketing. So they are like you so they like someone that has that experience and translates their English or French copy uh, in a way in German that like is good for marketing or good for a product translation so I think it's easier to find a direct client and as I said my experience was that it was kind of easier to find them on Upwork um, because in the beginning they won't contact you on LinkedIn right you don't have any track record you don't have any experience also something that I found very interesting when I wanted to become a journalist, my colleagues like at that local newspaper told me, don't study journalism because if you want to get into journalism, you study journalism, you know like you know how to write, but you have no topic to write about. So it's actually better mm-hmm. to study economics or politics in order to be able to write about politics and economics later. And I think actually the same might go for translation. It's maybe better to mm-hmm. study a topic like uh, law or uh, medicine and then you know all the specific vocabulary already because that's what you're working with and if on top of that you speak multiple languages and you know how to write because that is really important you know how to write well I think then you can do it
0: Mm -hmm. it's actually interesting because that's one of the things that we talked about in the first podcast episode that I did was about doing a master's in translation and one of the things that we mentioned and quite a few other translators have said was that your master's doesn't really give you like you come out of it and you don't have any idea of a specialization or what to specialize in and that's not really something that a lot of kind of master's courses even talk about like you learn how to translate but you don't you come out and you're like okay what like what can I translate now like what (laughs) and you kind of a lot of people have to start off like quite general because we don't have anything in particular that we specialize in so it is it kind of makes sense like to have another degree that is in yes (laughs) that you know (laughs) like
1: yes for sure And as much as I didn't like my bachelor's degree, I think it really helped me today with the vocabulary I'm translating. Like sometimes I'm translating something about marketing or about IT. So, about cloud providers or something like that. So, like really technical IT stuff. And as I had IT courses in school, I actually know how to say that in German. And I know what that is. I understand the context Mm -hmm. behind it because I know the, yeah, I know a little bit about IT. I'm not an expert by any means, but. At least I've had some courses on it. I had a course on marketing. I know how, uh, I don't know, pricing words or whatever. So yeah, can be really helpful and make sure that the German translation really sounds like a marketing person wrote it.
0: Mm. What do you think? Because obviously this is like UX and UI and like all this kind of like website online stuff. I feel like it changes, things like change quite quickly. So what do you think that the future of UX and UI is going to be and how is that going to affect Like
1: localization. Yeah. So as I I said in the beginning, it has been a huge field with the US for a long time or like not a long time, but a lot longer than in Europe. And in Europe, it has only caught on yeah, like five, six, I don't know, years ago. So I think there is still room for growth in Europe. So I don't foresee it going away anytime soon. And it's only now that I see translators calling themselves UX ui translators or something like that which I didn't see like even two years ago, I think. And I think even more translators will catch on to it. And instead of calling themselves like website translators or software translators, maybe they will call themselves UX, UI localizers, because it's the catchy term that companies will search for. So, uh, (laughs) but as you say, it's, it's an industry that changes a lot and everything that is online and digital, I mean, it won't be the same in 10 years as it is today. So I don't expect to call myself ux ui translator for the next 50 years probably there will be something else <laughs> and the new cool term and then we will all be called that so <laughs> but i think uh, what you can learn from it is like yeah, really thinking about the user because 20 years ago websites were just horrible nobody thought about the user they just like coded some kind of website and today it's really important to make a seamless experience so i guess that is here to stay but who knows what's what's to come but i think yeah For the next couple of years it's for sure the thing that's here to stay. Mm
0: -hmm. So do you find that with UX and UI translation that you have to do a lot of CPD or continued professional development because it moves so quickly? I guess in a sense maybe yes especially for tools so as I said before I
1: use phrase and crowd in but there's all the time new tools are popping up and then I have a new client that uses a different tool and I need to learn the new tool but this mm-hmm. is just kind of on the job. So I'm just learning the new tool on the job in a way. And mm-hmm. I think so, yes. But I also need to say I have only been in this industry for two years. And I feel like in those mm-hmm. two years, it hasn't changed a whole t- lot. So I don't feel the need mm-hmm. yet to like completely overhaul my knowledge on UX, UI, HTML, or whatever. But I'm sure over mm-hmm. the next couple of years, something like that might happen. And then I would need to... Mm-hmm do some courses or something for sure
0: I guess this is a this is a benefit of clients working with translators that are new in the industry because all of everything you've learned is fresh and like not much has changed since you learned it so you probably are more up to date than I mean I'm not going to say it because I feel like if someone's been doing that for 10 years then they might they've probably been updating what they're doing but like you've just had it all fresh like within the last few years of learning it so it's probably yeah that's like one benefit of being a new translator (laughs) for sure exactly because I mean
1: the masters I did in UX literally I finished it in 2019 I think so the the knowledge is kind of fresh yeah (laughs) Yeah. Mm Yes.
0: now that we're sort of coming towards the end of the episode just as like a reminder can you sum up the services you offer and the and the languages that you translate with yes sure
1: so I translate from French and English into German and I mostly do either website app or software localization or marketing material trends creation. And when I do that, I mostly focus on short form content. So ads, emails, rather than blog posts.
0: Mm-hmm. So if anyone is listening and they have more questions for you or they want to get in touch with you or they need, they want to use your services, where's the best way for them to find you and get in touch?
1: So I think the best way would be LinkedIn. So I'm Eva Katernberg on LinkedIn. I don't know. I should probably spell it so it's Eva. Eva is easy. But then it's K-A-T-E-R-N-B-E-R-G. Kadenberg, German name. And uh, I also have a website that is evaworldwide.com. So it's like Eva Worldwide, but without the L. So like Word.
0: I'll put that as well in the show notes so that people can check that out and make sure they're spelling it correctly. <laughs> my my name is not the easiest.
1: Yeah, but there's only one of me on LinkedIn, so that's easy. Once you oh,
0: found me, good. you found me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I've really enjoyed learning about your journey and like all about UX and UI translation. Thank you. (laughs) Happy you liked it. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was my pleasure. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode on UX and UI translation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks again to Eva for joining me today and sharing your knowledge and experience. Make sure to check out the show notes if you want to get in touch with Ava. And if you have any feedback about the podcast, send an email to translator at gmail.com. Have a wonderful month.